We're working through this series called Unshaken, and if you know anything about 1 Thessalonians, if you've been around for the last several weeks, Paul was writing this letter to this little church in Thessalonica, and these people were beginning to waver and to shake in their faith. They, uh, they, they, the circumstances surrounding them, the teachings that they had received, some of the false words that had come from false teachers was beginning to creep in like like fake news, if you will, like it was starting to create doubt amongst the believers in this little, in this little town, in this band of believers. And in chapter four, if you remember that Paul wrote words to comfort those who were doubting in their faith, that were beginning to waver and to question. And so this letter is written to Christians, not, not just 2000 years ago, but Christians today, because people are wavering. I mean, you think about our culture, you think about our world, the world that we live in, has there ever been a time where we, people have been more shaken in our, in our, in our, I, I guess our culture has been more unstable than it is today? Has there ever been a time where there's more political unrest or more church and denominational divide than there is today? There's this new growing movement of among Christians today called um, deconstructionism. Have you ever seen more people that are walking away from their faith and celebrating that journey than we see today? Christians that are deconstructing their faith and saying, I once followed Jesus, but no longer do I follow him. No longer do I worship him. I found a better way. There are many Christians among us that proclaim Christ, at one point profess Christ, and have determined that the world offers a better way, and they've they've walked away from their faith. Their faith is wavering. Folks, let it not be so of us. Let us not be that church that wavers in the face of persecution, that wavers in the face of difficulty, and in in, in the midst of hardship. May we be resolute in our faith, and grounded in our scripture knowledge and prepared for the screen, the schemes of the enemy because our enemy does not relent. He does not relax and he does not rest. He never stops scheming. And many of us, unfortunately, are asleep at the wheel. We've been sleeping away our days, but I pray that we might be awake and we might be alert as we sojourn through this life. I pray that we would not be caught sleeping. When our, when our master returns, because our enemy is continuing to strategize even when we slumber. Now, I know that there's a lot of things that can happen when we sleep, both spiritually, but also physically. I want to ask you a question. Did you know that your body has a, a self-preservation like mode that goes in high alert when you go to sleep? Did you know that your body actually wants to defend itself and your body actually works while you rest? Have you ever heard of the term hypnic jerk? Probably not. I looked it up this week. It's a real thing. A hypnic jerk is when your body is asleep, but it thinks it's falling. Have you ever had one of those experiences? You ever been sitting in church and all of a sudden you start nodding off? It's a little warm in here. The preacher is going a little bit long. He's circling around this sermon. He's circling around this point. He's on point number seven now. And all of a sudden you do one of these. That's a hypnic jerk. That's your body saying, wake up because something's up. That's your body trying to self-preserve and save itself. We've all had those moments. I remember being in school, whether it was in you know, elementary school or whether I was in high school. And I remember you know, dozing off, falling asleep. And I'm still, my, I'm still rested, but all of a sudden my, my body thinks that it's falling and do one of these things. 
That's a hypnic jerk. That is your body trying to preserve itself and trying to save itself. For those of you who have been parents, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night to this eerie feeling that something is like over you? Like there is this presence that is over you? Have you ever felt that? You ever woken up and your body say, hey, it's time to wake up because something's going on and you wake up and the dark shadow of your child is looming over you? Has it ever happened to you? That's a scary thing when your child is just standing over you, breathing, not wanting to wake you up, but kind of wanting to wake you up. It's a scary thing and, and it's really scary when your child has a knife or a pair of scissors or something like that. That's when you really have to worry. But, but our bodies somehow, in some way, can alert us to what's going on around us. And even while we're resting, our bodies are working. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that many of us, when we sleep, we sleep hard. And, and the fact is, is that many in the church are spiritually sleeping. We're slumbering our days away, and we navigate through our days unaware of the surroundings around us. We navigate our days being unaware of the seasons and the shouts of God trying to alert us of a coming judgment, of a coming return, and uh, man, trying to arouse us out of a spiritual death and a Christian complacency. Because there are many in our world, many in our world, that are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, and there are many that sit in the pews of the church that are casually just going through life, that are sleeping their days away and slumbering through the Christian walk. Folks, the church has been reclining in rest for far too long. And we've gotten so familiar with the things of this world that we don't even realize sometimes that we're asleep at the wheel. There's no hypnic Jesus jerk that's waking us up because we've just gone into such a deep sleep. So here we are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, thinking about what I just said, looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and Paul is trying to warn the Christians. He's trying to tell them not to be distracted. He's trying to alert them to what's going on and not be shaken toward the things that are to come. Because when you're sober, when you are alert, you're watchful and you're paying attention and you're not surprised. Yet Many of them in the city of Thessalonica were still spiritually asleep and they were living in fear. So when we go to the Bible, folks, when we go to God's word and we go to the truth of God's word, there is much in it to comfort us in the face of a future of uncertainty because we don't know what the future holds. We have no idea what's going to happen in our world in 10 years. We have no idea what's going to happen in 10 months. If you think about where we're at right now, If you told yourself 10 years ago that this is where our nation would be, would you have believed yourself? Probably not. So the future is definitely uncertain. And for some of us, we live in fear of that future because we don't know what God's word has to say. And every one of us, if we've been in church for any amount of time, we've heard that there are signs of the times everywhere around us. There's many things that are happening that point us to questions about what God is doing. You know, are we really living in the end times? Is Jesus' return really imminent? Like, is he really coming again? Is he coming soon? What does this mean about the end times? What does this mean for us if Jesus is coming again? Should we be worried? Should we be excited or should we be exhilarated? Can we find hope? What should I do in the meantime as I wait for Jesus to return? Is there a comfort in the chaos of this world? Well, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning, and I want to look to what Paul told the Thessalonians about what is to come in a way of offering them comfort in the fear 
of uncertainty. Like this is how you can look forward to the things to come. And so I want to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses. So follow along with me. Then we're going to break this down over the next 20 minutes or so. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us sleep as others do. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or we are asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And so this is what Paul was wanting to teach us about the things to come, the end of the world, the things that are still in the future that are maybe uncertain. This is what he wanted us to know. And in your programs this morning, you'll notice that you have some fill in the blanks. And I want to encourage you to turn in your programs, grab a pen and fill in some blanks because I've got three points, three main points this morning that I think will help us to live with the end in mind, to live concerning what is to come. And my first point is this. What we get from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is that more preparation is more important than more information. More preparation is more important than more information. The first three verses, Paul tells us, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need to have anything written to you. Paul's saying, you don't need more teaching. You don't need more writing for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul's saying, I've already told you this. I've already told you what you need to know. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so here's the Thessalonians. They're, they're in their uncertainty, when they're wavering in their faith, when they're shaken in their security, they're saying to Paul, Paul, we need more teaching about what is to come because we have a lot of doubts. Jesus hasn't come, come back yet. Our family members are dying. Are we already living in the day of the Lord? Paul, we need more teaching. And they wanted more teaching on how to discern the times because they weren't satisfied with the teachings that Paul gave them when he planted and pastored this church just several months earlier. And we can look at the Thessalonians and say, man, why weren't, they, why weren't they satisfied with the information that Paul gave them? Why couldn't they just move forward with the truth that, that Paul had taught them? But the fact of the matter is, we're kind of the same, aren't we? Ever since the very beginning of the Christian faith, Christians have been trying to piece together prophecy. And there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out future events, but some people get so caught up in them, they get so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly value. And they continue to look for signs and wonders, and they continue to try to piece things together. And all of that really started with this church in Thessalonica. 
They thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. So many of them quit their jobs. They, they, um, they basically relinquished responsibility. They were negligent in paying some of their bills. They had just kind of given up on this earth because they were convinced that Jesus was coming back and they had figured it out. Then you fast forward 2,000 years later into the 1990s and the early 2000s when Christian author Tim LaHaye wrote the Left Behind book series and sold 80 million copies of that series. Can you imagine? Christians are fascinated with knowing the end times and understanding them. And I think that there is a necessary fascination that we should have. We need to know what God's word has to say about the things that are to come. But the fact is, is that many of us want more information than God actually ever intended to give us. We want someone to come in and give us a new truth and to to tickle our ears. But there's a reason that God didn't give us the specifics about Jesus's return. And I think the reason is because he knew how we would respond. Now imagine this. Imagine that you knew Jesus was coming back in the year 2743. How would you live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back in 720 years? You probably would not have any urgency, any sake of urgency in your life. You probably think to yourself, not my lifetime, not my problem. Jesus isn't coming back. And so I don't really have much urgency, kind of an indifference about Jesus coming back. Now, on the flip side, can you imagine if the Bible revealed to us, if God revealed to us that Jesus was returning in January of 2023? Can you imagine if we knew that Jesus was returning in just a couple of months from now? the world would descend into chaos. It would descend into utter panic. So here's the truth that I want you to understand about why God doesn't give us certain information about his return. Because an indifferent church, an indifferent church lacks motivation. A panicked church lacks peace. But a prepared church is full of passion. So what Jesus wants for us, what Paul is saying is you don't need more information. You just need to do with what I've given you, with what God has given us, what he's prepared for you. He wants us to be passionate about his return. He wants us to look forward to it. And Paul had to remind the Thessalonians that the information that they had was enough. It was enough for their comfort. It was enough for them to be motivated. It was enough for them to be passionate about the coming of Jesus Christ. But they ignored the information that they had and searched for information that they didn't need. How many of us get caught up in the information that we don't really need and ignore what is right in front of us? Folks, we don't need necessarily more information. We have God's revealed word to us. If he wanted us to know more, he would have given us more. This is everything that we need. But man, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone tell me, Man, if God would just reveal to me his will. Man, I would love to know his will. And his will can be found. And we want you to find God's will. But there are so many people that want that information, but they don't want to do the the work of preparation, right? So I want to know God's will for my life, but they never open their Bible. They never spend time in the word. I've talked to so many people that say, man, I want my life to count for something. I want to make an impact with my life. I don't want to just walk and coast through my days. I want to actually invest them and I want to make an impact on my world. But I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know where to start making a difference for Jesus. And so they never start. They never actually start serving. 
And they miss out on the, the, the preparation work of knowing what God has for them. Man, there, are, there comes a time, folks, when all you have is all you really need. And this is all we really need. And when it concerns the day of the Lord and the end times, this is the truth that we need to know for sure. Is one, that Jesus is coming again for his bride, the church. And two, the day of the Lord will bring God's wrath upon unbelievers. And it's our job in the meantime to prepare them and to prepare ourselves for his coming. Because on that day, it's going to be dreadful. In fact, Amos chapter 5, I want to read, I want to read out of Amos chapter 5, where he tells us what the day of the Lord is going to look like. It says this in verse 18, What sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here. You have no idea what you are wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house and he's bitten by a snake. Yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. This is the reality of the things that are to come for those who are unrighteous, those who are not Christians, those who are still here when the day of the Lord begins. His judgment is coming upon those that are left behind with fire and fury upon the ungodly. My question for you this morning is, are you prepared for that day? Do you know Jesus? Because when you're prepared, you'll also be watchful, which leads me to my second point. My second point is this. Active watchfulness is better than passive waiting. Paul's telling us to be actively watchful and not just sitting around waiting for Jesus' return. Verse 4 in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians says this, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. Let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul is saying to to these Christians, he's saying, you need to not just be waiting, but you need to be alert. You need to be sober. You need to be paying attention to what's going on. And the fact of the matter is, is that the day of the Lord will surprise those who are caught sleeping. While the world is crying out, we found peace. We found security. Meanwhile, judgment is coming like a thief in the night. In fact, Revelation chapter 16, verse 15 speaks of this judgment that is is coming. This is what Jesus said, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Folks, those who dishonor God with their lives, those who rebel against him, those who hate his word, those who hate his son, those who hate his ways will be, will be surprised on that day and their deeds will be exposed. In their darkness, they're looking for peace, they're looking for security, they're looking for stability in life, but all they're going to find is disaster and dread. But believers are not in darkness. We have no reason to fear God's wrath on the day of the Lord because we are not children of wrath. We are children of light. And God has redeemed us into his marvelous light. And our responsibility right now is to be actively watching for Jesus' return. While we, while we eagerly wait for the return of Christ for his bride, we need to be active, 
carrying out the purposes of God in our life. And, I, you know, this world is obviously, we all know, this world is deeply discouraging the, the directions that we're going, the ways that we have not only walked away from God, but we have done the exact opposite of what he says. It's distressing. It's discouraging. But I find hope in Jesus's words in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, the first three verses, this is what Jesus said. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so Jesus is coming for us. Jesus is coming. He's returning for his bride, the church. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's a lot of deep connection between what we just read and traditional Jewish marriage. See, understand in the days of Jesus, when a young man would be betrothed to a wife, when he would get engaged to his bride, they would not yet get married, but they would be in a very, very seriously committed relationship. And I want you to understand the connection between this relationship and the relationship of Jesus coming back and rapturing his, church, his bride, the church. So a, a young man who is engaged would go back home. He would get betrothed to his future bride. He would go back home and he would begin to build. He would begin to work. He would begin to save, preparing a place for his future bride and him to live, because this is where they would spend the rest of their lives together. And I think there's some really cool comparisons and some really cool um, analogies here to be drawn between these two relationships. And this is where they would spend the rest of their lives. But here's the interesting thing. As a young man was preparing this place for him and his future bride to spend the rest of their days together, he did not know when that day would be when he would finish his work. He didn't know when his job of building would be complete. Only the father knew when this would happen. Because the father was the building inspector, so to speak. And he would watch his son. He would make sure that he's putting in the appropriate amount of work. He would make sure that he's got plumb lines. He would make sure that the construction is secure, that it is steady, that it is solid. And he would be the one that would kind of coach him along the way. And all of this time, whether it take three months, whether it take three years, or somewhere in between, the father would be watching And the the son would be working and preparing this place. And then finally, when that day arrived, when the father saw all that the son had built and said, this is good, you're now ready. He would say to the son, it's approved. I'll give you my stamp of approval. Go get your bride. The, The son would race off. He would take his wedding party. He would race off and he would chase down his bride and they would be wed. In the meantime, the bride on her end was to be waiting and watching. She was to be active about all the things that she was committed to during those days as she waited, but she was to be watchful. It was her responsibility to be ready when her groom would arrive, to be ready for that wedding day. And I just think it's so cool that that Jesus gives us this picture, that one day he is coming again, and right now he is preparing a place for us, and he doesn't know the day or the hour. In fact, Matthew chapter 24 says this, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows when Jesus is going to return. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. The Father will one day, son, son, go get your children. It's time to bring them home. It's time to 
to bring your bride to this place. And I so look forward to that day. It gives me hope knowing that Jesus is coming again. But we must be prepared. We must be watchful. We must be about our daily activities and our daily duties, but also keeping one eye on the horizon saying, I'm not just waiting. I'm actively watching for my groom to come. So how does the bride of Christ, how do we live in active watchfulness? How do we live with the end in mind? There's two blanks there that I want to share with you on how to live. If we are children of light, then we should be walking in the light. That's your next blank. We should be walking in the light. So let us walk in the light. We know that light changes our perspective, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, there's a big difference between total blackness and total light. It changes everything about the way we see. And if we are not in the darkness and we are in the light, then we should walk in that light. So how do we practically do that? How do we practically walk in the light? I want to give you four passages of Scripture this morning that speak to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 says this. Um, it says, uh, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Folks, we should be sober. We should be alert. We should walk in the light by having our eyes open, being aware of the signs of the times, and developing spiritual rhythms into our life that alert us to what God is doing around us. Many of us are just kind of going through the motions. We go to church on Sundays. We go to our prayer meetings midweek. We might even serve in a ministry. We might we might, um, you know, go to a, a midweek Bible study, but we're just kind of going through the motions because we don't develop spiritual rhythms and habits in our lives. We all need spiritual rhythms that will alert us to Christ's work in our life. So we need to chase down Christian habits. The next thing that we can do is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and that's what we should be doing, walking in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to find fellowship with other Christians. We need to be in community with one another. And so another way that we walk in the light is, first of all, to chase down spiritual habits, but it's also to chase after Christian community. We need to live in Christian community and fellowship with one another. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we're going to walk in that light, then we need to be in God's word. We need to know the truth of God's word. And that means we need to chase after that truth. So we chase after three things now. We chase after spiritual habits. We chase after Christian community. We chase after truth. And then lastly, John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21 says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, whoever does what is right, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works um, have been carried out in God. And so what we need to do based on what we just read there is we need to pursue after righteousness. We need to put away our evil deeds. We need to put away our evil desires and the cares of this world and chase down sin. So we chase after, what do we chase after? We chase after spiritual habits. We chase after Christian community. We chase after God's truth. And then we chase down sin. That's how we walk in the light. That's how Christ changes us as we walk and as we grow with them. And then next, if we belong to the day, if we're children of the light, then let us live 
with purpose. Let us live with purpose. Paul said to be sober, wearing the breastplate of faith, hope, and the helmet of of love. We should be living prepared with a purpose. Man, there are a lot of casual Christians today who profess Christ, but they're sleepwalking through life. They're going through the motions. I mean, the lights are on, but nobody's really home. They're just kind of going through those motions. And it's unnerving to watch. And I can just imagine as God watches Christians that are not alert to what's going on around them, they're not sober to the day. As he's watching his children who are not really being watchful, they're just waiting. I imagine it completely unnerves him. But Christ, folks, Christ is coming again. And we need to live with that urgency in mind. The day of the Lord is near and we aren't to be passively waiting. And if we're not even passively waiting for Christ to return, there's probably no chance that we're actively watching for his return. So while we sleep, while we're sleepwalking through life spiritually, the world is dead walking through life toward destruction. And that destruction is sure to come. In fact, Matthew chapter 24 says this. Verse 37 says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The world was just living in in hedonistic desires. It was just living for its own its own ambitions, and it was just chasing after the things that brought them pleasure. They were eating and drinking and being married and given in marriage, and they were not paying attention to the destruction that was ahead, even though God had warned them through Noah. And we see that Noah was a man who was delivered from sin. May we not be caught off guard and surprised by Christ's return on that day when he comes. Let us be waiting and actively watching, like Paul told us, In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13, I got a lot of scripture today. I want you to understand that God has much to say about what is to come, that we have the information that we need. We just need to put it all together to prepare us for that day. Romans 13 says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. It's come for you to wake up from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is how Christians should be living and how we should be watching for the return of Jesus Christ, our King. Thirdly, what I see in this passage, what Paul is telling us in this scripture, is that relief comes through rescue. Relief comes through rescue. And there's going to be a lot of need for rescue to come with everything that's going to happen in the future. In fact, even though scripture is not specifically clear on everything about what is to come about the rapture or the timing of it or the day of the Lord and all of the events that are going to happen, it is very specific in some ways. In fact, if you're ever interested, you should look into the book of Revelation. Chapters 6 through 18, it talks a lot about the different series of of dreadful um, uh, judgments that are coming. The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls 
that are going to be poured out on mankind at that time. And all of them are announcements of God's different judgments that are coming upon his creation. And make no mistake, this will be the most terrifying time in the history of mankind. Unlike anything we've ever seen, it's going to be filled with so much dread, so much negativity, so much pain. There's going to be an antichrist. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famine. There's going to be death, historic inflation. The Bible says is that, 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 a, that a piece of bread, that a loaf of bread would actually cost a day's wages. That's like a loaf of bread right now costing $200. This is how bad it's going to get when God's judgment comes upon the world in the day of the Lord. A third of the earth is going to burn. Demons are going to be unleashed. The sea and the fresh water, um, bodies of water that are all around us are going to turn to blood. The, the, the sea creatures that are in them are all going to die. It's going to be horrific smell and stench. The sun is going to scorch. There's going to be earthquakes. The Bible even says that there will be hailstones that will fall that will be as big as 110 pounds. Folks, that's going to leave a dent in your car. Like this time that is coming is full of dread. But, but don't mistake this season. Don't mistake God's wrath for him just being an angry God. I think it's easy for us to just chalk it up and say God is just angry. He's just angry at his creation. This is actually a loving God going to extreme efforts in order to reach his creation, in order to get their attention, to arouse their alertness so that they may see what's going on. Because if they miss Christ in this season, this season of seven years of tribulation, there will be no more opportunities to repent. There will be no more opportunities after this seven years of tribulation to receive Christ and to turn from their sins. And so this is a father trying to get the attention of his creation. Think about your own children. You know, hard discipline or hard lessons requires hard discipline. You know, we don't often learn lessons the easy way, do we? Sometimes the best lessons learned are the hard lessons. We learn them the hard way. And, 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 and this is exactly what God is showing us. God is about to destroy the world. And a hard-hearted people who hate him need a wake-up call. Because after this, there's no chance for redemption. The motivation behind all of these judgments, all of these trumpets, all of these seals, all of these bowls, everything that's happening in Revelation chapter 6 through 18, it's all an effort for God to arouse those who are spiritually dead and say, pay attention, I'm trying to reach you. I'm trying to save you from the judgment, ultimate judgment that is to come. But God gives us, Christians, he gives us this promise at the end of of, uh, of our text this morning in chapter 5, starting in verse 9, I love these verses. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Shouldn't we be encouraged with these words? The fact that relief is coming and his name is Jesus. He is coming for us and he's not coming to just relieve us. He's coming to rescue us. He's coming to take us out of this season of wrath that is to come. All throughout scripture, you see when, great, when God brings great judgment upon a people, he always removes the righteous from that judgment, doesn't he? You think back to the days of Noah, which we just read about a few minutes ago. And God removed all of the righteous people on the earth at that time. It was Noah and his family. Everyone else was destroyed, but God removed Noah and his family from that wrath before the wrath came upon them. You think about Lot and 
Lot in in, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God got Lot out of there before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about the, 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 the Hebrews or the, the Israelites that lived in the nation of, of Egypt as slaves. Before God brought his judgment upon the, the nation of Egypt, he removed the Israelites from that situation. Before the death angel came, God removed them. Folks, man, we don't have to live in fear of what is to come. We have all the information that we need so that we don't live fearful. Rescue is coming, and his name is Jesus. And I want to be honest with you this morning. I was a young man in need of rescue. In fact, I wasn't a young man. I was a boy in need of rescue. I was a good kid. I tried to do everything my way. I tried to earn God's favor, but I was destined for God's wrath without Jesus Christ. All of my sinfulness, all of my wretchedness, every filthy thought, every dirty deed, every impure motive, man, it's all been covered by the blood of Jesus. Because when I was 10 years old, I actually feared this judgment. I knew a little bit about what God was saying about what is to come. I had heard this teaching in the church and I realized I need Jesus. I don't want to face that wrath. And so when I was 10 years old on August 10th, 1988, I surrendered my life to Jesus because I did not want to face his judgment. I did not want to face his wrath. I did not want to miss his return. I wanted to be prepared. And folks, there's some of you, maybe even here today, that you need to surrender to Christ for the very first time. There might be some of you here today that you're hearing all of this and it's like, man, this is not super encouraging news. To hear that the world is going in this direction and it's only going to get worse, significantly worse, this is not hopeful information. I didn't come to church to hear this negative news, but this is truth and this is what you need to know. And if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, all of your righteousness, all of your good deeds... All of the great things that you have done, the charitable works that you have contributed to, all of the church attendance, all of the the generosity, all of the serving in the community, if you are trying to earn God's favor with all of those works, I promise you it will never be enough. It will never measure up. You need a rescue. You need a savior and his name is Jesus. And I don't want you to bear the punishment that is coming your way if you don't have him. So today, don't reject him. Don't procrastinate on that decision. If you have questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus and have a relationship with him or to surrender your life to him because you want to be saved from the coming judgment of man, from God, then talk to someone around you. Come find me after one of the services. Let's chat. Find one of the people that have been here for a while that maybe invited you or someone that you just trust to have a a hard conversation with. Talk to them about what it looks like to, to, to meet Jesus and to surrender your life to him. Don't procrastinate on it. I read this quote this week. The most common way to reject Christ is not with a defiant curse, but with a disinterested shrug. There are many in our world that are just disinterested in Jesus. They're just like, I've heard about Jesus. I get it. He was a historical figure. He was a good teacher. He was a prophet. But I'm not really interested Folks, that is the most dangerous attitude that you can have about his rescue, about who he is. Today may be the last time that you hear this message. Today may be the last time the Spirit of God convicts you to turn to him. So surrender your life to Jesus. Let him carry the burden for you. Let him take the punishment of God upon himself and rescue you from your sinful sinful ways. And Christian, I hope that this, this message this morning has been hard. 
It's been serious. There's a serious tone that comes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it's not always encouraging, but for us, I hope, I hope, and I pray that it revives your spirit. I hope that it revives you out of your potential spiritual slumber because the night is far gone and the day is at hand. Our king is coming again. He is coming to rescue us. Will you be prepared? Will you be watchful in that time? Will you be ready when he returns? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we...